the bulletin for the title. That's, that's my doing, uh, not the one who created the bulletin. <laughs> but uh, because it's Father's Day, and so I wanted to give some instruction to fathers, uh, knowing that there are some new fathers that I know that when I became a Christian and then I became a father, one thing I figured out quickly, I don't know how to do this. <laughs> and so I was scrambling, reading all these books about how to do it, and I wasn't satisfied with what, was I, what I was reading. Some things were good, but then I said, you know what, I'm just going to just study Proverbs and then what the Bible says about it. And I've gleaned some things from that over the years uh, that was helpful for me uh, to raise uh, my kids because we all raise our kids if we do have uh, you know, our call to be fathers and have been a father or whatever stage you're at in fatherhood. Uh, we really all do it imperfectly, um, but we do want to have sometimes instruction on how to do it. And, you know, through the years, uh, because of certain accomplishments that I received at an accomplishment, sometimes people give you a pen. You know, you graduate, they give you a pen. You do this, they give you a pen. You do that, they give you a pen. I have a lot of pens. But there's one pen that is above all the other pens. It's a cross pen. But on the cross pen, it just says one thing on it. It says, Daddy. It's when my kids got together when they were young and all contributed to buy me this pen. So this pen is above all pens for one reason, because it just says Daddy on it. And I thought that as I was thinking about that, uh, and um, it really touches you when, when your um, kids do stuff like that for you. And, uh, and I appreciate that. And so today I want to look at some things that the Bible says about, uh, specifically about fathers, about instructing their kids, because that's what a father does. He's a leader in the home. Uh, in our Iron Man group, we have been studying through a book called Disciplines of a Godly Man, and if men, if you haven't been coming to our Iron Man, you, you, you need to come when we start it up again in uh, September because it, it is a good time of fellowship uh, as we study through a particular book, which is, of course, all focused in on certain passages of Scripture. Uh, but one of the chapters in that book was on the family, and the author of the book, R. Kent Hughes, wrote this important statement to fathers. And he said this, he said, men, the mere fact of fatherhood has endowed you with terrifying power in the lives of your sons and daughters because they have an innate God-given passion for you. He went on to say, the terrible fact is we can grace our children or damn our, our children. Men, he continued, as fathers, you have such power. You will have this power till you die. Like it or not, your attitude towards authority, your attitude towards women, your regard for God and the church are all very important to display before your children. What terrifying responsibilities. This is truly power of life and death. Now, that quote should bring to the minds of fathers, to parents, 
that we have an awesome responsibility that is parenting is so important, it's a matter of life and death. Now, maybe you never thought about it like that, but the Bible does level, bring to the, a high level the responsibility of a mother and a father uh, about raising their ch- uh, children, influencing their family, which influences their society, which influences the church, which influences the nation. All right, so that becomes some, something very important for us to consider. Now, maybe you're at the beginning of fatherhood. Maybe you're in the middle of fatherhood. Maybe you're not a father at all, but you know people who are fathers, or, and, or possibly you're a grandfather or a great-grandfather, so you never really get away from the concept of father. It's always there. And so this morning I do want to, uh, by our Lord's design and the design of the family, which is really the most basic unit found within the broader context of society, the basic family unit includes a father, a mother, one or two children or more, and sometimes no children, and that's all right. This morning I want to look at that, and I want to look at two passages, Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 4, and then several more, more than two passages, and then Proverbs 22 uh, in verse number 6, and then other passages I will bring up along the way. But as you turn there, Ephesians chapter 6, just one verse, I'll give you the context in which this verse sits, and then let me have a word of prayer as we go forward. Lord, this morning, I do thank you, Lord, for the instruction that you give us in the Word of God about what fathers ought to be. And one thing fathers ought to be is to be wise. Not worldly wise, but wise in the things of God. Wise in the instruction found in the Word of God. He needs to be very aware of what God requires of him. And I pray, Lord, we do feel the weight of that responsibility. And Lord, in this world, there's not many, there's not, no help. If there's any, it's very little. But so, Lord, we have to find help in your word. We have to find help within your church. And so I pray, Lord, as we look at this passage and we break it down and we just think about this, I pray that you would impress upon us as fathers, no matter where we're at, that we have a responsibility, and that we should be this kind of person. And I pray this this morning in Christ's name. Amen. So in our text today, the most basic obligation children have is toward their parents, and that obligation is that of obedience. So our passage in Ephesians is really about children acquiring knowledge to live wisely. So this passage, we are looking at this Lord's Day, Father's Day, moves us from instruction to a, from a subordinate group, that's children, to, to instruction to the imperative group, and that's parents, or today, fathers. So if you look, it says in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up 
in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, fathers are here named either as representing both parents or because of them in particular, the discipline and governance of the home are given to the father because he is the head of the home. He is, Christ is the head of us, and the father is the head of the wife and the family, and that's the way God made it to be, and when it functions like that, it functions quite well. But don't forget, the context in which we find this instruction is in, uh, in the Christian family exists in our relationship to obeying the Holy Spirit. This, this passage is about living a Spirit-filled life as children obey their parents as they are submitting to the Holy Spirit, then fathers are given this responsibility uh, in the passage. So there is the father and the child, and so the passage mentions the negative and the positive duties of a father. And so this morning, I want to look first of all at the negative. So firstly, the duty of the father is expressed negatively. For look what it says in our passage. It says this. It says, fathers, do not, do not provoke your children to anger. Now, obviously, it says it there because the father has the capability as the leader, as the authority to do the opposite of what maybe he should be doing. Given this is a fleshly desire, uh, anger is a strong desire, so that desire has to be instructed on how to use it. How do I use this in the right way? Where, of course, this, it says here, because the Father is the head and has been given by God authority, that authority can be misused. This, This authority must come under the control of the Holy Spirit. God has to take all of us and put us under control of the Holy Spirit, So the word provoke really denotes not only the causing of irritation and exasperation by uh, parental actions and demands, but further the awakening of anger by treatment that is harsh, uh, oppressive, and often unfair. This is not to say that the father must never refuse to allow a child to have his own way or must permit a child to do wrong for fear of arousing its anger. Nothing could be more unkind than to let a child believe that by an exposition of temper, he or she may get what they want. A parent, a father must help a child steer away from self-indulgence. So the relationship of authority and submission, which is in this context of Scripture, should exist between father and child and is guided by a father who desires to find what is pleasing to the Lord and what lines up with walking by the control of the Holy Spirit. Now, just by way of some practical things, the fathers, the do-nots of fatherhood 
come in some practical ways like this, by belittling uh, criticism and the absence of appropriate praise that a father either, uh, some of the things he should not be doing, and of course being uh, overly strict and controlling, or being overly irritable, or being unpredictable or inconsistent, or even by playing the favorite game and picking out a child and favoring that particular child. These are the do-nots that could definitely provoke anger within your children's heart. In other words, a father's submission to the Lord will be seen in the way he shows he is humble and gentle and patient and bearing with his child in love, such a father will not cause his child to become angry. And that is the goal. The goal is not to cause your child to become angry. Now, all of us have been introduced in some way to some kind of parental uh, approach. Like, you know, if you don't know the Bible very well and then you get married and have started having kids, you may think, well... I guess I'll do it the way my parents did it, or I'll, I'll do it the way I think it should be done. And, and all of us, I know all of us do this. Some of the things we did not like in our parents, we say when we get older, we're not going to be like that. And then you know what we find out? We're just like that. True? True. But, so these are the things not to do uh, as a parent. So here are... Here are, and of course, playing the favorite game, but here are some of the ways to um, think about it, that our parenting uh, approach uh, is going to be one in which, uh, listen, either you're a permissive parent, and, and there's not many boundaries, and there's not too much freedom, and uh, there's some concern in love, or you're going to be a parent that is neglectful, uh, no boundaries, uh, no love, no uh, confidence and security within the children that come from that. And then, you, or you can be one who is a, an authoritarian parent who has lots of rules, but not not really a lot of love. And then, of course, an authoritative parent who has high support to their children. And there's lots of rules. There's boundaries to what you can and cannot do. And there's penalties if you break the rules. And then there's a lot of love. And, of course, that produces confidence and security within the children. So these are some ways that we do raise our kids. All right, And, of course, here are some mistakes that we make uh, when raising our kids. We tend to raise our children the way we were raised. Right? That's not always a bad thing if you had a good example and a good model. And then secondly, we tend to develop our own methods with no foundations. This is the way I think it should go and hope it works out. All right? And then, of course, there are those who tend to compare our children with each other, uh, which is always a dangerous thing to do. And then, of course, there could be we tend to leave our children to society's directives or, or to its experts. Right? And... Uh, but I tell you what, there's experts who have no founding and root in the Word of God are all over the place. 
and are very dangerous to follow. So the diagram that I just mentioned is like this. This would be where you may fall into it. You may be permissive, you may be authoritative, you may be neglectful, you may be authoritarian. All those things we may gather from different ones and we somehow bring into our parenting model. And, um, of course, the best one would be the authoritative one where there's high support, a lot of rules, boundaries, penalties, much love. And, of course, it gives confidence and security to the children. Now, I would like to interject... Uh, some thoughts about some things I have wondered about while studying the Word of God and raising my children. They came really in the form of asking myself two questions as a parent. All right, And the question really is this. What am I doing right and what am I doing wrong? Now, I have to be able to answer that question. And then the second question is, are there right parenting formulas that guarantee you'll have godly children. Now, for instance, some parents prefer a particular method of discipline. Others insist that a certain type of education is the key. Classical education, Christian education, homeschooling, a trade school, Secular or private schools, all right? So there's different ways to go. Now, while still others promote a particular curriculum that is guaranteed to instill godly character into children, and these parents all believe that by carefully following that prescribed system that they will be assured of success, and their proof text is usually this text. And this is the one that I wanted you to look up, but I have it on the screen. But it's in your Bible in Proverbs 22 in verse number 6. And it says, train up a child in the way he should go. And even when he is old, he will not depart from it. But are there really any fail-safe methods of child-raising? Does the Bible prescribe specific methods of parenting that promise success every time? See, the biblical answer to that question is no. That may shock you a bit. But we have to know that. But I'm not saying that it doesn't have principles that we should follow that will guide our children in the right way. But there are no foolproof methods of parenting. We would think that the Bible would be rich in containing many examples of parents who rear their children. But the fact remains, the Bible mentions many parents who have experienced misery and sadness at the hands of their children, including our first parents, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve had high hopes for their two sons. They sought to raise their children to serve the Lord, while one son, Abel, honored both God and his parents, and the other son, Cain, was stubborn, self-willed, and hot-tempered. Ultimately, this rebellious son murdered his younger brother and had to spend the rest of his life separated as a vagabond on the run 
from his parents and others uh, who really loved him. So it's hard for you to imagine the anguish that Adam and Eve experience. I would say, though, that's maybe it's not hard for you to imagine that because you may have gone through the same experience, the same misery and some sadness at the hands of some of your children. And you may. In order to understand the meaning of Proverbs chapter 22 in verse number 6, we need to grasp the nature of Proverbs overall, the whole book. See, the book of Proverbs is not a collection of promises. And some people have taken this proverb as a promise that will be fulfilled as long as conditions for the promise are met by us. Instead, Proverbs are maximums that wisely describe in in a general sense the way that God has made the world to operate under a curse. So then, Proverbs 22 in verse number 6 is a wise truism. It is not a promise. It is actually a warning. It is an admonition. It is true that God often blesses godly parenting. Generally speaking, children from Christian families that honor the Scriptures usually turn out much better than children raised in unbelieving homes that reject the word of God. There are, however, exceptions. Just as it is possible uh, for a hardworking man to remain poor, it is also possible for kids who've had faithful parents turn from the truth. What we need to realize is that there are are no promises that God will always and in every case save our children. No matter how different, or no matter how diligent, excuse me, we are in directing them to the Lord and to the things of the Lord. Now, perhaps you have trained up your children in the way they should go. That is our job to do that. That's the admonition the scriptures give us to do that. Yet, they have departed from it. Don't automatically assume that their rebellion is your fault. Why do I say that? Well, because if we consider instead the fact, the Bible teaches that there are actually three factors, not just one, that determine how a child will turn out. The first one is this. Parents are responsible to humbly honor the Lord and faithfully obey his word in the training of their children. Now, that's a given. But there's also the child themselves. In our own passage of Scripture, the passage before it says, children, obey your parents. Now, this is in a home which people are trying to do the word of God, who want to live by the Spirit, so the command has to come to the child too. Obey your parents, for this is right. In fact, there's a promise to it, you'll live longer. Now, that doesn't mean that the parents will kill you if you don't, you know, don't obey. But even though you may like to once in a while. But nonetheless, it is 
is it brings to our attention that, wait a minute, if the children have to obey, there's something wrong with the child. There's something wrong with their heart. You know what it is, parents? Get this through your mind. You have children who have sinful hearts, who live in a sin-cursed world. You are sinners yourself. Even though you're redeemed, you still have remaining corruption that God's working on. So that means the second thing is that children are responsible to humbly honor their parents and the Lord by responding in faithful obedience. That's what they're supposed to do. You can't make them do that. You can make them, I would say to people, listen, when your kids are young and, and little, that's easy. You have control. You've got the power, man. But when they get up there, and they get taller than you, and they think they're smarter than you, oh, then you got a little bit of a problem there, right? There's a little resistance. There's a, there's a little pushback. Sometimes there's a lot of pushback. So the child is responsible for truth also. They are not exempt from that. But there's a third thing in the process, and that's the Lord himself. The Lord is ruling sovereignly over the lives of both parents and children, directing them according to his good purposes. So you see, fathers who are Christians have an advantage because we are given a command given by the Holy Spirit on how to parent negatively, which I just mentioned, And then, of course, that means don't do this. And then positively, how to parent positively, do this. Don't do this, do this. Now, if you think about it, man, that's pretty simple. Matter of fact, the Lord just gives us one passage here, maybe because he needs to keep it simple for us, right? So we get it, right? So we, we get what to do. All right, so that means it brings us to the second thing, and it's this. The duties of fathers uh, is expressed in our scripture positively. What is it? But bring them up. Don't do this, but do this. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So this is what the Lord is telling us to do as men. And as we do it, then we are going to do what we ought to be doing. And of course, parents, the parents' responsibility, the father's uh, is responsible to humbly honor the Lord and faithfully obey his word in training their children, although it is true that God doesn't absolutely guarantee success in response to our faithful parenting. The Bible does make it very clear that parents are responsible to train their children according to God's principles. For it says, fathers, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So there's three things I want to glean from this passage of Scripture. And the first one is this. It just simply says this, bring them up. All right, bring them up. It it means to actually, the word used there, it means to nourish them, to feed them. That's what it means to bring them up, to give them the necessary things to be able to become a wise, functioning citizen within your family and within the broader context of their, the world. So we're to bring them up, and of course that may mean several things 
for you and I. Number one, it may mean this. It may mean that we have the power to direct our children. All right, Proverbs uh, chapter 29, if you look in the middle of your Bibles, Proverbs, if you're right there in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 29 and verse number 15 All the way to verse number 18, it says this. Proverbs 29, verse 15, it says, The rod of reproof give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. When the wicked increase, transgression increases, but the righteous will see their fall. Correct your son, or discipline your son, and he will give you comfort and will also delight your soul. And then look at verse number 18. It says, where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained, but happy is he who keeps the law. In other words, that word vision there really means where there's no revelation of God, where there's no instruction from God. What happens? There's no boundaries, right? Sin is not restrained when that happens. So in other words... To bring them up means that I, you, as a father, as a parent, we have the power to direct them. And I say this along with that, don't leave that power to someone else. That is your power that God's given you. You have the influence when they're young to use it. And believe me, use it. Because if you don't use it, somebody else will fill that void and you don't want that to happen. A second thing under this to bring them up is the power to restrain them. Now, of course, I already read the passage in verse 17 uh, in Proverbs that you are you can restrain your children, all right? That means the way we do it, do it in a calm, controlled, and respectful manner, not out of control as someone who is filled with anger because they'll never produce what you want it to produce. The anger of God never produces the righteousness of God. That comes in the, that's in the epistle of James. All right, and then there's a third thing under this to bring them up, and it's the power to test and to judge them. So you're watching your kids, right? You're looking at your kids, and you are testing them along the way, right? You're looking at where, where they're at, where should they be, right? Are they getting this message I'm teaching them? And then you have the power to judge them, And if we do that correctly and we're fair and balanced in our judgment with each individual child, we will be able to actually bring them up. All right, there's a second thing in our passage that he says, and it's this. We are to discipline them, right? Right there in our passage where it says, listen, you and I as parents are to discipline our kids, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, right? The discipline and instruction of the Lord. So discipline them. Now, this is a, a probably a, a subject today that people often avoid, and this is where they really go wrong, right? Because people say, well, I can't, I can't do this to my child because that, that's child abuse, and, and I, can't, I can't do this to my child because that would be, you know, 
that would be not uh, that that wouldn't be right in the society and the community and all those things. But the Bible is really saying, listen, uh, discipline. Then, of course, that word means to educate by discipline, by training, training by verbal reproof and re- re- remonstrance, because a child's nature is sinful. Sin is bound up in the heart of a child, and a father needs to reprove his child from errors of that child's own ways. So we are to diligently discipline our kids in the hope that God will work through our discipline and nurture them so we can draw our children to himself, to God himself. And of course, the goal of all discipline is going to be conversion. Conversion. The Hebrew word, actually, that we draw from this situation is to restrain from doing wrong, to reform, reform, reform by words or actions. Actually, a verb that means to chasten them, to bring them under something. Of course, what you want to do is bring them under your authority, the discipline or training of an individual in areas where he or she is unruly or does not want to be told. All our children have that tendency, whether they are passive or whether they're aggressive. They have those tendencies. We have to identify them. That's what parents do. They identify things in their children, and each child needs to be directed and taught differently. This word means to correct, and it even means to scourge, to spank. This word is used in this way, to take one into something. So we are, as parents, given that responsibility to discipline them. You know, you can't always, you can't always speak sweet words uh, to your children. Honey, five minutes in the corner, and everything should be fine. No, sorry, don't work with a sin nature. All right? Christians should understand the sin nature. All right? So here it is. We have to apply the force necessary to cause them to follow our verbal instructions. Right? In other words, we're getting our children to obey our voice. But before we get them to obey our voice, we have to bend them over and we have to tan their hide uh, for two reasons, disobedience and rebellion, right? So we bring them to listen to our voice that someday they would listen to God's voice and they would obey the Lord. That is always the goal. And of course, secondly, it would be the pressure to hold them back from what they would do if they were left to their own will and desire. So we're there. Again, it's that matter of the pressure that we need to put in that individual child's life to restrain them from what they would do if they were left to themselves. Right, because, you know, if you said, listen, tonight we're going to have steak and potatoes, but whatever you want. Well, you know what they're going to do. They're going to go to the freezer, and they're going to get an ice pop, and they're going to get ice cream. Right, and they're going to get candy. They're not going to eat the steak and potatoes. See, so you have to say, no, we're having this tonight. And, uh, so, and you have to p- apply the needed pressure so they conform. And you 
get them to do what they normally don't want to do. All right, And then, of course, a last thing is that once you do all those things, the adjustment of pressure to evaluate how far your child has come in a particular area, and as they obey, and this is where I think sometimes parents go wrong, and mature, you have to adjust your authority and begin to give them more and more freedom as they grow up. All right? More and more freedom as they grow up. All right? So the father decides how much freedom based on certain things, their attitudes, their responsible behavior, their obedience, right? And a parent knows when a child is, when you tell a child to sit down and you know in their heart they're not sitting down. Parent knows that, right? And so those are the kind of things where, listen, they can actually rebel against you and not say one word. See, attitudes, we need to know those things as a parent. So in Proverbs, there are several passages of Scripture that bring to our attention this, discipline or correct your son or, you know, and he will give you rest and he will give delight to your heart. So in other words, the rest and delight comes from the child's obedience. Proverbs 19, verse 18, it says, discipline your son while there is hope and do not desire his death. And then Proverbs 23, in verse number 13, it says, do not hold back discipline from your child. Although you beat him with the rod, he will not die. Now, this is, all, of course, all contained in Proverbs in the context of a wise parent, not a foolish parent, not a naive parent, not a, a parent who's a scoffer, but a wise parent. So they're now using and observing everything so they can properly discipline their children, not improperly. There's no abuse in, in the context of Proverbs uh, when these verses come up. There is, is directing their will to this narrow path, and then they get comfortable walking on it. So the Lord encourages us to train our children because we might be the very means that he will use to rescue our children from destruction and protect them from the foolishness that resides in their heart. And then, of course, there's a last thing that the Bible says about in that passage of Scripture, that we are to instruct them. This is different than discipline them disciplining them. This goes along with it. These all, all three go together. This is really where the, the parent is, is proactive in bringing them instruction that they're going to need in life. They're going to need this in life to survive and uh, to do what is right. And so what are some of those things? Well, the first one is to develop a taste and thirst for righteousness. We can do that, parents, as we have our a taste for, and a thirst for righteousness ourselves. Remember what the Lord said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. See, there's a, there's a hunger that we give our kids for doing what is right, and of course that includes doing what is pleasing to the Lord. And then there's a, a next thing, and it's this, that we're to develop an 
a, in them a submissive and a respectful demeanor. In other words, if we think of what we're been, we have what we have been being taught in First uh, Peter in chapter two, that there's a godly submission that comes to all of us when it comes to authority, and your children learns how to submit to authority, and then of course to the discipline. Uh, to really discipline their will to, toward obedience. That's all part of what we're doing. We're directing them in a course where they know what they're to do and what is the right thing to do. Now, to do that, parents have to un- have an understanding of the fallen nature of their children. If anybody should have a good doctrine of sin, Christians should, right? We, we know that, listen, our, our kids are sinners. They are going to, to sin. But as we observe their sin, we need to observe what the Bible says in, in Proverbs 20, verse number 6, that we are to raise up a child in the way they should go. In other words, each child has a way about them. A way about them, just like it says in the Scriptures, that uh, where it says in Proverbs that... There are three things which are too wonderful me, wonderful for me, four which I do not understand in Proverbs 30, verse 18, and verse number 19, the way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a serpent on a rock, the way of a ship in the middle of the sea, the way of a man with a maid, and the way of an adulterous woman. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I have done no wrong. See, in other words, in each one of those situations, there is a way about the thing, a way of an eagle flying through the sky, a way of a ship moving around in the ocean. There's a certain thing. Oh, I can, that's a ship. Look at the way it's moving. See, we can identify in our children. What do we identify? We, we identify their bents. What, what, what bent do they have to a particular sin? Some kids, they have a bent to sometimes just lying about things, and they get good at it. Or someone has uh, a bent to maybe take things that are not theirs. Or, or somebody, one child has a bent to be uh, passive in their not saying things, but you know they're rebelling inside of themselves. Or a child is uh, someone who has a bent the other way, that they're aggressive outwardly. All right, so all those bents are identified by the parent, by the father. And as he does that, he wants, we want to steer them away from that, to steer them away from uh, any kind of bents to sin in, in that particular child. And then what would he want to do? We want to build godly character. We want to teach our children wisdom. We want to move them from foolishness, from being naive about things, from ultimately not becoming a scoffer to becoming a wise child who knows how to implement and observe things so they can make the right decision. We want to instill in a child dignity and respect. And then we also want to remove in a child all tendency of prejudice. It says in Titus chapter 3 and verse number 2, it says, Showing consideration for all people. See, prejudice is really taught. 
in the home. And it's also taught in society. It is a wicked thing, and it does not help. When people come into the church, there's really no such thing, right? Because we come in, and what, we have one thing in common. We have Jesus Christ in common. He's our Lord and our Savior, right? It doesn't matter the color of our skin, our background, what we've done, right? We come, and we come in the unity of the faith. And we develop and grow together as a family. And there's unity amongst diversity because of the Holy Spirit of God. There's love amongst diversity because of the Holy Spirit of God. And that's what we want to do in our children. We want to teach them. That's why the, the family and the church, they go together. They're, they're not, there's no obstacles between it. They're, they're a connection together. We need to make sure that we connect those two things, you know, we, this is what we do as a family. And part of what we do as a family is we go to church. We learn the word of God. We implement biblical principles in our life. We don't do certain things other people do. Right? Why? Because this is not pleasing to the Lord. And that's what we're communicating to our children. And believe me, it does take root in our kids. Even when our kids have tendencies to go off and rebel for a while. Or maybe they leave the home and they, they're not a believer, but they still have what you taught them. When they leave out that door and you taught them in the way they shall go, even if they're not a believer, they know what you believe and they know what the right thing is. See, so their rebellion is no longer with you, it's with the Lord. The Lord's going to have to take care of them. And believe me, when your kids do leave and you have no more restraining power over them, that's when you trust the Lord. Because you know why? You can't help them. You can't be there. You can't, you can't lift them up every time they fall. Right? And, and they're past instruction in the sense of you sitting down and saying, this is the way it should be. No, you become wise counselors. And, and you give good advice to your kids wherever they're at in, in their journey and in, in their life. And, of course, you always want to direct them. I always these subtle things in text to say, I want to direct my, remember, always put the Lord first. Remember, do what's right. Remember, find a Christian person that you can hang out with. Remember, be going to church, you know, get, be reading your scripture, you know. Even, no matter how they old, I always kind of put that in there, you know, because I know it's, it's so important. It's been important in my life, and it, you know it's important, you know, but, you know, preaching to them, forget it. You can't preach to them anymore. You just got to be there and show them love, and show, can be consistent in your Christian walk, and if you do that, then you will definitely have some kind of influence uh, on your, you, you'll have a huge influence on your kid, kids throughout your whole life. So in Scripture, in Proverbs, it tells us, listen, if you're going to teach your kids these things, then you know what? You have to be learning those things yourself. You have to be taught in the Word of God before your children are taught in the Word of God, you have to live out and what you're learning and teach them, and not just by sitting them down and having some Bible study, but by your life, by the way you respond to things, by your behavior, by the words you use, by husbands, how you treat your wives, by wives, how you treat your husbands, and parents, the way you treat your kids. All of it is important, and all of it is being observed. Your little minds are recording all those things, and they say, well, this is the way mom and dad did it. I like what it says in Proverbs 1.8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. And then what does 
how does Proverbs start out? This is how Proverbs starts out. Chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Proverbs is Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom. All right, what does that mean? You know what wisdom is? Wisdom is the skill of living out life beautifully. So it demonstrates to those looking on you that there's something different about you. You have a skill to be able to live life. You know, that's a skill that does not come easily. People can have a skill to do this. They can be artists. They can be mechanics. They can, they can do a lot of things. But when it comes right down to skill for wise living, you don't see it very much, right? Why? Because it takes work. And then he says also in Proverbs 1, he says, to know wisdom and instruction. Again, the same thing that, of course, what do you think? Paul is getting his information from. He's getting from his information from Proverbs, all right? To know wisdom and instruction. And, of course, that wisdom and instruction is really to bring them under the areas that they don't want to be told. And then, of course, in verse number 2 of Proverbs 1, discernment, all right? To discern sayings of understandings. That means to make them mentally mature. Mental maturity is necessary for spiritual maturity. It was Jonathan Edwards who said, the way to the volition or the will is through the intellect. If you do not understand the word of God, you cannot understand how to practice it. Our minds must be disciplined and mature for the word of God to affect our lives. So to teach the nature of life, is what you and I ought to be doing. And then in verse number 3 of chapter 1 of Proverbs, he gives us some instruction. And this is what he gives us in that passage of Scripture. He says this, four areas of instruction. The first one is wise behavior. Verse number 3 of chapter 1 of Proverbs. Wise behavior, that means to be prudent, to the ability to govern or discipline oneself by choice. See, that's what a wise person does, right? I can discipline myself by choice. Why? I've thought about it. But I didn't think about it in a vacuum. I thought about it being informed by God's word, right? And I thought about it, as Solomon did, by watching my father David and how he acted, and how he responded to the Lord. And when he sinned, how he dealt with his sin. See, Solomon learned all that. It's a sad sad scenario at the end of Solomon's life, what he did. Uh, But definitely he had to be the wisest person. He was the wisest person who ever lived, as far as a human being is concerned, uh, at least in the Old Testament. All right, the second thing it says there, that we are to teach them righteousness. That means to conform to the will and the standard of God. Teach them what is right before the Lord. And then we are to teach them justice, the act of deciding a case or dealing justly with people, having good and fair judgment in the face of God. I think we should have more of this in our government, too, knowing how to do that. And then also equity. Equity is, just simply means without wrinkles or smooth. Another way of saying equity is that which is pleasing to the Lord. They know the right way, and they know how the right way looks. 
They just not only know the right way, they know how it looks. That means they know how to do it. So, so fathers, the bottom line is to be sold on instructing the children under your charge in God's way, which is the right way. And this means we can never let a child choose against the truth. We must insist that they do what is right, and so we must expect obedience at all times, and that starts when they're just little. If you, if you instruct them, discipline them, when they get older, there will be this sense of obedience in them. So wise fathers make instructing their children in the way of the Lord a priority. Nothing is more important than teaching our children about life from God's perspective, the realities, teaching them the realities of wisdom and also the realities of folly, teaching them the realities of righteousness and also the realities of wickedness. You don't have to commit sin or do sin to know sin. It could be taught, and it's taught right in the Word of God. So the realities of truth and error, we need to teach teach them, listen, when you do the truth and when you do error, there's implications, there's results that happen, and the realities of God's way in every other way. One thing we must do is teach them what God requires. So in fact, God considers godly instruction to be of greater value than anything a young adult can take from the home. If you want to give your children wealth and riches, give them truth. Give them truth. If you have no money to give them and you gave them truth, they will be wealthy because they'll know how to live life. They'll know how to hedge against foolishness and being naive, and they'll know very clearly who a scoffer is, and they'll stay away from them. And they'll pick good friends, and they'll pick things in their life that actually will be a blessing to us as parents. So see, the bottom line is that, fathers, I want to admonish you today to seriously consider your situation, and if you have not, begin today to implement these principles within your daily family life. And parents, because parents are to teach into their children a submissive and obedient heart and to drive out of them a stubborn, rebellious heart. That's really the bottom line of teaching the Word of God. So, for those fathers with young children, someday, very soon, sooner than you think, your relationship with your child is going to change. You'll look up one day and you'll see that your child has become a full-blown adult. And at that point, you, the parent, then becomes the aged counselor. But that's a good place to be. It's a good place to be because if all those things, all, all the things that you've been toiling in over for years to, to discipline and to train and instruct your children, though imperfectly, at the end, 
we can pray that you will bear the fruit of a glad heart. And in fact, look at this passage of Scripture, which I will close with. Look what it says, my son, if your heart is wise, my own heart also will be glad. And my innermost being will rejoice. When will it rejoice? When your lips speak what is right. Isn't it great that some of the things that you taught your kids is actually coming out of their life and out of their mouth? And then they're turning around if they get married and have children, and they're doing the same thing. They're doing the same thing. See, there, there's nothing more than, that will bring gladness to your heart than that. And then when they open their mouth, they're opening their mouth with wisdom. Wow, man, who are you? I didn't think I raised such a wise child. And then verse 17, don't let your heart envy sinners. And here's the key, but live in the fear of the Lord always. Surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. See, someone who grows up like that will have a future. And they will have a hope. So I pray, may the Lord bless you fathers today and mothers and just your parenting that uh, I just can admonish you in just a few short, a short time uh, to just consider these things and begin to implement them in your life. And if you have already, keep doing it. Don't give up. There's going to be t- down times. Don't give up. Just continue to press on and trust the Lord. And that's why we have to depend so much on prayer and the fellowship of believers and the word of God to continue to keep us on the straight and narrow path. So I pray this this morning. And uh, guys, happy Father's Day. Amen? Let's have a hand for fathers. And of course, we have a heavenly Father who is faithful to us in all ways. So let's pray. Lord, thank you this morning that your word, Lord, is, is pretty... Uh, it is very clear in, in what it requires. And Lord, we know that by your Holy Spirit, he causes us to put in place those things that are needful to raise our children. And we do know also, Lord, that when we do this, the grace of God is in our home. And the possibility of our children coming to know you as their Lord and Savior is very high. Lord, thank you for saving our kids. And for the kids that are not yet saved, from parents who have diligently uh, put these things into practice, I pray, Lord, you'd not leave them alone. I pray, Lord, that they're under your discipline now and that you can bring them into a situation that could humble them and bring them to a place that they would remember what their mother and father taught them and they would call out to you to save them. I pray you would do that, Lord. Our kids that have trusted you, please protect them, watch over them. I pray, Lord, for their future and their hope that you give them in Christ Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that you would develop in church and in churches young people who are godly and mature in Christ Jesus, that when they get married and have kids, they know what to do and they know how to do it. So I pray, bless us in this way. In these last days, 
Lord, make your church shine brightly in this area. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together.